0: You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We have been in this conversation of asking where God is because uh, from a quote of a well-known book, Experiencing God, written by a guy named Henry Blackaby, he makes the statement that we should find out where God is working And join him in that work rather than reversing that and saying, hey, we're come with me, God. I want to do something. Find out what God is doing and joining him in that effort. This week, by the way, we had uh, in in our city through City Commit organization here in town, um, Henry Blackaby's son. Uh, Henry is now uh, with the Lord. But our, uh, Richard, his son, was here, just had, had a just some marvelous uh, uh, talks this week in, in our city. So it was really powerful. This conversation has taken us at, at many different directions, trying to, to sense, hey, where is God and we want to join him? Today, we're going to see God in the marketplace because every one of us is in the marketplace to a certain degree. Right, Whether we're in the grocery stores, we're in the gym, we're in, the, in our places of work, we're in school, if you're a student or a teacher, whoever that might be, we're in the marketplace. We cannot not be in the marketplace. There's a distinction at times in the context of conversations of, as we're going to see, how we can speak in church because we under, many of us understand the language, uh, many of us understand the Bible, et cetera. But as we are human beings, how do we relate to God? And we we might remember at those times in our lives, that intersection when people began to speak to us about God and how we best receive that because anymore that, you know, when we begin to talk about our faith or talk about politics or talk about certain topics are sensitive. So as we begin, and I look at these two guys, Milan and Ryan, as examples who are willing to, to take God and take the message of God and the message of Christ to the world. I, I I have to sometimes think, what motivates a person like that? And I think that there's a certain level of bothering, that they're bothered enough that that people that when for all of us, when we don't have Christ in our life, we won't have this deep sense of peace. We won't have a deep sense of peace that we're okay with God. See, this is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is not a message of religion. The message of Jesus is a message of relationship. That without Christ, we don't, we, we, we gain with Christ, we gain this path between us and God because God has made it okay and he's not relying on us to make it okay. So that when we have this, that, that, you know, when you look at religion, there's a sense that I've got to get it right. I've got to get it right enough. And the message of the gospel is that we bring a a message of freedom. We bring a message that says "Oh, you can be liberated from the guilt sometimes or the fear or the concern as human beings that we're not right with God enough that we've got to do something. And Christ comes and says, I've done it all for you. See, I think that people like Milan and I know them well enough to know that they're out there risking their lives because they're bothered enough that there are so many people in the world that are under an umbrella, a shadow, a dark cloud of religion or fear or like not just constant wondering, am I okay with God? God did not create us as human beings to wonder if we can every day of our life. Is it going to be okay? God, I, I want you to know I've made a way for it to be okay and for me to be in relationship with you. I think there's one thing to be bothered, but I think that there, it, you have to be bothered enough. So I got stuff in my house that's, you know, broken. I'm bothered by it, but I'm not bothered enough to fix it. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. I think my wife is more bothered about it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes she gets bothered enough, like, give me the hammer. I'll fix this teeth. You know, and that you know, was a down moment for me. But, you know, so because uh, you feel like, hey, I should probably be bothered by this enough. So now I'm like, hey, if you're bothered by it enough, then, you know, go for it. You know, you can take care of it. So I, when you look at the Apostle Paul, who, was a, who loved people so much that he was willing to bring the message of the freedom of Christ He was really bothered by that. We're going to land today in Acts chapter 17, where we see Paul in the marketplace. But before we do that, let me just bring up Romans chapter 9. And and Paul was by birth a Jewish man. And he's he's so bothered that his Jewish friends, his Jewish family, were still living under this umbrella of religion that they that he was like, oh, I'm so broken for you that you don't have this. Look at his. I think it's easy to read over these words, but I think you have to understand the depth of his sorrow and his brokenness and his angst for them. In Romans chapter 9, verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. It wasn't like he was bothered last Thursday at 2.30. I mean, it's like this ongoing, ah, man. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I wish that I myself were away from God cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers those of my own race the people of Israel think about that i mean it's almost hard to read that and believe what he's saying he said i would rather i would rather not be even in a relationship with God, if they could have a relationship with God, after the first service, I had a man that grew up in Africa, and he came to me and said, "Man, I he 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 had a, a friend that was uh, he had was in the army and uh, the military, and they they had uh, there were four of them, and they were getting ready to go on mission, and this guy prayed literally, I know you, God." I am a Christ follower. I have a relationship because of what Christ has done for me. But my three comrades don't. So as we go into battle today, if you need to take someone, God, take me. Think about that. It's exactly what Paul just said. And sure enough, he was the one that got killed in battle. And these three men, this story just came to me. 18 minutes ago, these three men carried his coffin and they became Christ followers. They found the good news of Christ, that they, they could be liberated from religion and guilt and all those things. Isn't that stunning? This was Paul's heart. I'm bothered so much for those that don't know Christ. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul says, I told you often before and now say again, even with tears. I'm crying as I'm writing this, that many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ, that they don't understand that good news. You might recognize the name William Booth. He was the founder of Salvation Army. There is a reality here in the spiritual world that there is an eternal destination with God, and there's an eternal destination without God. In our culture, we like to move truth around to where it suits us, but that's not truth. Truth is not relevant. Truth is absolute. I'm standing on a piece of wood today. That's truth. I'd like to say I'm standing on a marshmallow. Well, go ahead and believe it, Steve. But you know that's not truth. Truth is truth is hard. Truth is black and white. Truth is un- immovable, and the immovable truth that we that we we have is that in eternity, there's an eternity. Away from God and eternity with God. William Booth said, hey, when I'm, when I'm talking to people who are not bothered enough for other human beings, is I wish I could dangle them over an eternity without God for 24 hours. Just so that we could recognize the desperation and the reality of that. And I think it would change our lives forever forever and being bothered more. Does that make sense? We begin with the bothering then of, of Paul. He comes into the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17. And you'll see the distinguishing, uh, the difference between Paul being in the synagogue and in the marketplace. Let's, be, let's begin to read Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, his, some comrades, in Athens, he was bothered Greatly distressed, not distressed, but greatly distressed distressed, to see that the city was full of idols. Those who had, uh, you know, statues that had been built by the hands of men. Statues of people who were hoping that they could find God by doing some human effort. He was bothered by that. In other words, he wasn't bothered by the people. He loved the people and was bothered by their quest to find God through religion. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks. But as well as in the marketplace every single day of those who happen to be there. You see, this is how marketplace works. This is how God works in the marketplace. We're not going to a place to say, hey, I'm going to go there to meet someone. I, often in the marketplace, someone meets us right, or we meet each other. This is where God moves. God often moves in the marketplace, whether it's, again, at your place of work or at your school or in the grocery store, etc. God is moving and interweaving everywhere, not just in the synagogue, right? Not just in the church building, but he is sending us out and interweaving. And this is how God works of those who just, quote unquote, wink, wink, happen to be there. You see, God just doesn't happen to do anything. God is very intentional. We just happen to be going to Publix. I got to go. I got to run across a gas station, you know, after this, because I'm not sure after I got enough gas to get me home. <laughs> you know me. I love living there on the edge with my gas tank. And so, uh, you know, but I'm going to happen to run into somebody over there. I'm going to go very intentionally to get gas. But, you know, God's gonna. But God is never just happenstance. God is moving, and so he sees these. I'm going to say to you, the conversation was different that day in the synagogue than it was in the marketplace of those that that Paul met. I love simplicity. In fact, I feel like I need simplicity. There's sometimes I'll go to a conference and maybe an apologetics conference. I get so psyched because these guys are so brilliant, and so smart, guys like John Lennox and the, the, those kind of guys. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, "Oh, that's so! Oh, wow, that's amazing!" Then I get home and my wife says, "So, so what did he say?" I'm like, "It was cool. <laughs> it, was, it was super cool. It was super deep. What did he say? I like, had something to do with God. I'm not quite sure, you know, but." It was, uh, when we're out and we're, we get the privilege of saying, hey, I'm carrying, I'm carrying the word of God with me today, it has to be simple. Paul's methodology in his conversation is so critical because it reminds us as human beings how we absorb things. Our culture today is setting one person against another. It's setting one race against another. It's setting one faith against another. It's setting different segments of society against another. And as human beings, we need to show a different story. That God is for us. That when we are speaking to people, as people speaking to us, regardless of the topic, there is a simplicity in the way to approach conversations that are important. This is what we're going to see from Paul. Let me give you an overture. There, are, here are four things we're going to see in this conversation with Paul. And what what is the same? What do we have in common? What's our distinction? What do we have a, a difference? What is really big concept, and what is very personal? Let's begin. We we be take this conversation up in the verse uh, twenty three, of Acts seventeen, or uh, uh, verse twenty two. Sorry, in verse seventeen, or chapter seventeen. I'll get it right. And Paul begins with, hey, what's the same? In Acts 17, 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. This was the marketplace, not the synagogue. He's out in the marketplace. And he said, men of Athens, I notice all these statues and these gods. I just want to point out, first of all, that you're really wrong. And I don't like it. Great way to start a conversation. You're a Democrat. You're wrong. You're a Republican. You're wrong. I mean, that you know, this is not how to start a conversation. He said, I see that in every way, you're very religious. And you know what Paul is going to say? Me too. I see that you're spiritually oriented. Me too. You see, when we, as human beings, when we begin a conversation With something that we have in common, now we have an open door that we might speak to one another respectfully. There's a great book called Critical Conversations. Critical Conversations talks about the neurological approach to conversations. I know that sounds pretty heavy. But if you say, hey, you know what, Bob? Hey, wait just a second, Bob. I don't care who you're talking to. The word Bob is not, you know, I don't even know where Bob came from. Hey, Bob. All of a sudden, your brain goes into either fight or flight. Fight or flight. This is not going to be good. This is not going to be a good conversation. See, Paul doesn't come in and say, you guys are all wrong. Actually, we got some common ground. Because I believe no matter what your differences are, we've got more common ground to begin with than starting with all of our differences. Does that make sense? When you look at this, you think, "Man, there's some." So I've got a friend that is um, that is um, writing uh, books to how to have conversation between Christians and Hindus. Now I didn't know this, but Hindus they put a a lot of investment in astrology, in the stars, and 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 it begins by, "Hey, we do too." Remember when Abraham was taken out and God said, "Look at the stars." They're, they're going to be, your your family line is going to be just like the stars. Even the, Jesus, when he was a young child, you remember the magi. They were led by a what? They were led by a star. We're told in the Bible that at one point God stopped the sun. We we see stars in the book of Revelation. So instead of so saying, hey, let's just start with all of our differences. Again, I don't care what topic you're talking about. Hey, we've got, hey, me too. And then Paul says, hey, I know there's going to be some distinctions, but he says, let's begin with what we have in common. And here's what we all have in common. We all need God. We all need God. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. You still need him. That's like, say, you know, some of you say, "I, I don't need kale. Oh, yeah, you do. I don't like kale. You still need it. <laughs> I own no kale. Still need kale. <laughs> we all have this in common. Then Paul says, but let me talk about respectfully some of the distinctions. Because in our day and age, in our, our culture, probably if someone were to say, what is the most popular increasing religion in America? I wouldn't say it's Christianity or Islam or Hinduism. It's pluralism. And if, if you don't know pluralism, then I've become an expert. I know something you don't. Doesn't that feel so great? I'm playing with you. Pluralism says that every road leads to the same God. And if you ask a Hindu, if you ask a Christian, if you ask a Muslim, they would all say, no, 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 I disagree. There's a distinction and every faith walk. And so Paul says, let me just tell you the distinction of Jesus. I'm not telling you how wrong you are. I'm just saying there is a distinction of Jesus. And the closer you look, the more distinction that you find, the more life-giving that you find in Jesus. So watch. In Acts seventeen twenty three, Paul says, so, so I walked around. And I respected you because I looked carefully enough at what you believed in. I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Let me give you a a distinction. You see the God I follow? You can know him. It's a little distinction. Now, what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you, I'm going to share with you that our God is not just a universal deity. Our God is not just a God who's distant. Our God is not a God that is impersonal. Our God is not a God that you're just hoping that somehow you can... See, our God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And our God is one that we could touch and hear and feel, see, Jesus said, "When you've seen me, you've seen the Father." And now Paul says there is a distinction. It's okay. In fact, it's riveting to talk about distinctions amongst each other. Somebody may say, "Oh, oh, you're a Democrat. Oh, you like politics." Hey, me too. But let me tell you the difference between me and you. Are Republican or whatnot? You, you know, I'm being very careful, including everyone. <laughs> It's not our platform, <laughs> but whatever the topic is there, watch. There's a beauty in the sameness, but there's a beauty when you can bring a distinction. I was talking recently with someone about the Bible. I said, you know what's so amazing about the Bible? Because some books of faith respectfully are written by one person. What's re- what is really amazing about the Bible is that there are so many authors who wrote the Bible over a span of hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you tried the hardest that you could ever try, you couldn't put it together as consistently as the word of God. And the predictions have, of, of, the nth degree that have come truth that, that the Bible predicted hundreds of years ago. There are certain things that you like a person who has any interest in, and, and that were like, Oh, that's really an amazing distinction. See, you see, we were in a heap of trouble as human beings. We were all broken. We were all sinful and we couldn't help ourselves. And yet Jesus came. As a sinless man, the only one, by the way, who's ever existed in human history. What a distinction. So he was the only one that could go to the cross and make a path for us between us and God. What a distinction. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul moves from being the same. Hey, here's what the same. And then he moves into what's different. Here's a distinction. And then he goes from big to small. Because sometimes when you go big, it's like, hey, we all have this in common. And so he says, let me talk to you about how big God is. And in verse 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it. He's beginning to talk at this creation level. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by hands. He's bigger than that. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself is he. He gives men and women life and breath And everything else. What a big God we have. See, at this point, they got to be like, hmm, okay, wow, we all do have a God. In fact, Paul said in verse 26: from one man he made every nation of men, God made it all, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. What Paul has just said is common to every human being and every year of every century of every millennial throughout human history. He is a big God. We have a big God who has made everything. And whether we know it or not, he's holding the whole thing together. He's too big to live in a church building or a temple or a mosque. He's too big for that. See, God, he's saying, well, look at how common God is to everybody. And then Paul says, but this God who's so big, he's also very small. What do I mean by that? He's very personal. Because, see, if we just leave this God at this level of bigness, then what does he got to do with us? What do we have to do with him? You see, Paul says, let me, let me get very personal here. In verse 27, Paul says, God did this, did all these big things. Why? So that people sitting right in this room, people sitting at home, people in your workplace, wherever you, and you and me, would seek him. Our God Wants to be sought after. Not only that. Listen very carefully. Our God wants to be found. Our God wants to be found. See, I grew up in religion. 20 years of it. And I had a real deep sense. That God didn't want anything to do with me. And even when I was looking, I spent three years looking, trying to read different about different faiths. I'm like I don't think he wants to be found until I begin to read the Bible, and I recognize that he's actually been looking for me too, as I've been looking for him. God did this so men would seek him, and maybe reach out to him. Watch and find him. This is this big God holding all things together. The whole universe giving you breath right now. And this God wants to be found. Though he is not far from each of us. Think about that. For in him we live and we move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said. You see how Paul is saying, hey, me too, and some of your own poets, you are his offspring. He's created you, so this big God, he wants to be very, very personal now here's something that Paul does in this moment in our culture, you know because in this culture, they had arenas of conversation, right they came in, they just they debated, et cetera. We don't have that too much anymore, so Sometimes these conversations that take place in a very short amount of time, they can in our culture, but in our culture, we're less trusting. We don't have arenas where, we're, hey, let's go and, you know down to the coffee shop and just dip, we'll have 14 people debating stuff, right? That's kind of not our culture. So this conversation, you have to say, well, in our culture, it may take some time to really get to some deeper truth. But what I do appreciate about Paul and I appreciate about the Bible is that the Bible does not avoid absolute truth. The Bible speaks of absolute truth. And I don't think that we do anyone any favors if we're just trying to be nice. Nothing wrong with being nice. I don't like being nice, but I know I need to. I'm just We're not doing anybody any favors by just... Making, you know, just making everything friendly and nice. There's nothing wrong with that. But hear what I'm saying. If I have cancer, I want to know. The oncologist is not doing me any favors by like, well, it wouldn't be nice for me to share with him that he has cancer, right? The Bible is very honest that we all have cancer and that cancer is sin. And the Bible is honest that we need covering. We need to be washed of that sin. And if we show up to God and our sin is not washed, then we're the unrighteous standing before the righteous and intersecting with a God. And God is saying, I, I, this is why I sent my boy, my son, Jesus, to die for you, to take all that weight. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So watch what Paul says in verse 29. So we've talked about the sameness. We've talked about some distinctions. We've talked about this big God who wants to be so small and to be found. And because he wants to be found, and you're his offspring. Watch. Paul says, therefore, for this reason, since you are his offspring, we should not think that the divine being, is like gold or silver or stone. It's not religion. An image made by man's design and skill. Paul gets really honest here. He loves them enough to be honest. He's bothered enough. He wants to be honest. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he calls and commands all people everywhere to turn around, to repent. To say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're an agnostic, a person of other faith, a person who's been in church all your life, by the way. Like, hey, have you intersected with Christ everywhere to repent? Because here's the truth of the matter. It's almost like Paul saying, hey, here's the truth of the matter. For he has set a day, God has set a day, when he will judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus, that he's appointed. He's given proof of this to all men, to the entire world. This is not a concept anymore by raising Jesus from the dead. It is the cornerstone distinction that our Savior is no longer in a grave. He came back from the dead to prove to us that eternal life is real. That he conquers the grave. At the end of time. We will. Every person will be before God. And there's nothing more personal. Than than a person's name. A person's name for them. is Is part of their identity. So this past week. Uh, our youngest son celebrated his 17th birthday. And uh, most of you know that I'm primarily vegan, vegetarian, and so when we asked him where he wanted to go to dinner, he said Longhorn Steakhouse. I'm like, oh, okay, that's awesome. You want to go down to the vegan roll, right? No, don't. And so uh, I said, well, once a year, hey, what the heck. So went down there, I got a salad, and... Uh, <laughs> And he kept saying to me, are you enjoying this? I'm like, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Are you enjoying your big, fat steak over there? <laughs> our server came to the table. I'm just going to say, her, let's say her name was Marge. And Marge had a, a lanyard around her neck. And it had a picture of a boy. It looked like he was 10 years old. And um, we said, hey, my wife, uh, Carrie, said, hey, we're going to uh, we're gonna pray. Thank God for our food. And she didn't say Hey, what can we pray for you for? But it's a great question. But she said, hey, who's that picture of? And uh, Marge said, that's my boy. He's about 10. Yeah, he has a mental challenge. Uh, he's in a home. I haven't seen him for six months. I'm trying to remember how many hours she worked a day. It was Unbelievable amount of hours that she worked. She had two jobs. She doesn't have a day off. Literally seven days a week, just to be able to afford this place for her son. And his name was important for her, for her. And we prayed for him. His name. You know. You know why? She's not a server at Longhorn. He's a treasured soul to God. A soul that's going to be in eternity, either with God or without God. I'm asking God these days to bother me more. Because we, bo- when we're bothered more, we'll do something about it. In the next, in the, in the very end of the Bible, we see absolute truth. John, who wrote this and saw the future, said, I saw the dead, everyone, great and small, those who have not had, have not developed and built a relationship with Christ, standing before the throne of God, and the books were opened. But he says, But this will be the most. The greatest moment of reality right here. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what had been done, recording in those books. But if anyone's name was not found in that book of life, they were thrown into an eternity away from God, into the lake of fire. This is reality. I prefer not to, to speak of this reality, but it is a reality. But see, nestled in there is the message of hope. That when we come to Christ and we recognize our need for him, then our place in eternity is settled. This is why God, he has such a desire to say, I want to live with you for eternity. I want to live for you eternity. But unrighteous and righteous cannot meet and it cannot be bridged by religion. Christ came. He died for us. He goes, it is done. It is finished. And he offers this to us on this very day. On this very day, this invitation. Won't you come and find love and find grace and find liberty and find freedom and find life and find a place with me? And we do that by faith every person that we will intersect in our marketplace needs god needs this relationship and this freedom that god brings thank you for joining us and special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible if you enjoyed the podcast you can also subscribe or share it with your friends for more information about 360 church visit us at the360church.com.